0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Review Two. This week we're reviewing Rattle and Hum. Mm. Okay, Edge, play the blues. It's Desire. Dum, 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 dum. Van Diamond's Land. Van Van Demon's Land. I'm the Edge enthusiast. I'm a
1: Larry Lover, yeah, so.
2: How have you not told us this? So picking up where we left U2 last. On the 27th of March, just 14 days after the release of The Joshua Tree, U2 filmed a video for Where the Streets Have No Name, shutting down part of downtown Los Angeles due to the sheer amount of people who turned up to see them. The band, then a couple months later, duets with Lou Reed at Croke Park on the 27th and 28th of June. In August, Where the Streets Have No Name peaks at number 4 in the UK charts. In October, they release Wide Awake in America, a 4-track EP which was only available in the UK through US import. In November, they record 5 songs including When Love Comes to Town at Sun Studios in Memphis into 1988, you 2 win yet more awards. No, it's not a Hot Press Award. This time, it's a Grammy! In September, Desire is released as the lead single, and now where do we find ourselves? That's right, we're in October 1988. We have a brand
0: new double 12-inch vinyl record to play. Okay, so we're up to speed now about what the band have been up to. This week, We've got something a little bit different. We've got a special guest joining us in the studio to help us get through our review two of Rattle and Hum. Please welcome Vinny.
1: Hello. I'm looking forward to this all day. I've taken some notes as well. Taking
0: it very seriously
2: then.
1: Very seriously, yeah. I I
2: know you're a man known for your commitment or lack thereof.
1: Yeah, yeah. um, And I've given this the usual level of (laughs) diligent treatment.
2: I'm quite impressed with what you've done.
1: Thank you very much. Well, there's, I'd say, six pages of notes.
2: The reason Vinny is here today is Vinny is a pianist and a drummer. He has performed in bands with both myself and Johnny in the past. And
0: whenever, I think, me and Johnny think about this album, we do think about Vinny. Would you agree with that? It has an odd spiritual link to Vinny, which I don't understand. But maybe that's something we can work through on this episode. Yeah. It's like therapy.
1: Well, the strange thing is I don't understand it either but I know, <laughs> I know it's there It's a very strange
0: thing so where were you when you discovered this album tyler um
2: this is another example of me buying the vinyl instead of the cd i think because the cd was probably ridiculously priced because of the amount of tracks it had on it and i i've always felt like i'm getting more with a vinyl because there's, there's two discs and it's bigger so i know i bought this from at Afflex Palace once again the same place I got Josh Wittery. This is in a, a period of time where I was going to Manchester every week just to buy vinyls. I think it. Was, I don't think I had any of the nineties albums at the time that I bought this, but I probably had quite a few of the eighties and All That You Can't Leave Behind. Uh, Atomic Bomb wasn't out yet, so that's the kind of time frame we're talking.
0: This sticks in my mind as an album that I had certainly before Actung Baby or Pop, or Zeropa, but you mentioned that Vinny was with you on this visit.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember that very vividly.
0: Do you remember it very vividly, Vinny?
1: <laughs> I wish I could say I did, but uh, no, I don't actually. I do remember the period, you though. You don't know how much that
2: moment meant to me, man. I'm so sorry.
0: So when when did you, I mean, can well, you talk about any of the memories that you have from that time, You know, when you got the album, or any memories attached to listening to it for the first few times?
1: Yeah, so it was a weird, it was a weird time because obviously the internet is so much more accessible now. Not that this was that long ago, but mm. it was, you can get kind of reviews of albums before you buy them. You can find out more about the album these days before you go and buy it. Whereas this, I think
2: this is something like we we keep coming back to. Yeah,
1: um, like I I like how many
2: records, not just you two either, but how many records and CDs and particularly singles, were singles. I remember exactly where I was when I bought them, which shop. Probably you know the time of year as well, because you had to make uh, a, a, at least a time investment and a monetary investment just to obtain these. Like traveling to Manchester, it's you don't. I don't think young kids growing up and getting into music understand that these days.
0: Okay, granddad.
2: <laughs> no, but I think it's a valid point. Music it is, is, it is. A, the value of music has gone down just by not having to invest
0: your own time and effort, and the value of albums as well. So I remember. Often, not tricking, but suggesting that Vinnie buy certain albums that I would, you know, show an interest in. You know, coincidentally.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't remember how much at the time you assumed I'd cottoned onto that, that. That's what was going on, <laughs> but I was happy to go along with it because because the, the, you you've also not got any more of the excitement of buying an album and not knowing what to expect. Mm. So you you know,
2: there have been times when I have looked around. Um, at my house and just realised how much of my friend's stuff I have with no intention of giving back.
0: I I think... Share and share alike.
2: Yeah, but I, I, w- I don't think I'd go down the route of trying to convince someone to buy something just so you could
0: <laughs> then steal it. It was a suggestion.
1: <laughs> well, this is all just semantics, isn't
0: it? <laughs> <laughs> I remember being in the car a lot listening to Rattle and Hum with you for some reason. I remember yeah. driving to places and having songs like Desire on. I remember playing Desire in the music room at high school together. Yeah, yeah, that happened.
1: Yeah, it was... I I would say I definitely knew the album was kind of an odd album in the sense it wasn't the studio album. It was live stuff and kind of like a musical diary sort of thing. Mm. Um,
2: Yeah, I think it was in the soundtrack section when I bought it. It wasn't with the rest of the U2 albums.
1: In fact, I think I got... I think, actually, I might have got the DVD first... Which has some extra stuff i might have got the dvd before the album
2: that's where we were when we discovered these albums uh where are we at with it now
1: have you thought about this album for years no actually it's um obviously you said that you kind of see it as being linked to me in some way Mm. i definitely did listen to it a lot back in the day but it's been a few years since i put it on i think now so it's been nice the last day or two or the last day this
2: is for me this is one of the albums i come back to quite a lot. There's a lot to discover on this album, N- not that it's all necessarily good but no. there's, there's a, a lot of un- a lot of unique U2 moments on this album which are always interesting and uh, it's been interesting through you know my, de- my development when I bought it, I would have been about 14 but as I, as I grow up, the meanings of songs seem to change so it's always a very interesting album for me to go back to and I do find myself going back to this, a lot more than, say, Unforgettable
0: Fire. You talk about moments there as well. There are so many moments on this album that I thought were quintessentially cool, you know, rock and roll cool, when I was about 14, 15. Listening back now, my opinion has altered quite a bit on, on the way I've heard that. You, you, you're you nodding, Vinnie, are you agreeing with that?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Like, um, there's a couple of songs, God Part 2 in particular, that I thought was ridiculously cool back in the day, but when I listen to it now, it doesn't feel quite as cool. I still really enjoy it, but it doesn't feel quite
0: as cool as it did. There's going to be some conflict between Vinnie and Tyler, perhaps, on that song.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <But maybe laughs> let's we not just, give uh, anything
2: away, but... Um, yeah, should we get into the album? Yeah, let's go ahead. Here we go with the review two of Rattle and Hum. First of all, a couple of rules... Uh, just to let you know how we're going to go through this. We're not going to spend an amazing amount of time on any songs that you two have already released. For example, Still Fire* and Found What I'm Looking For, Pride and Name of Love, and Boy the Blue Sky, or cover songs. We're mainly going to focus on the new material on the album, which is pretty much a, an album's worth. We will discuss the other songs, but
0: not at length, because we don't want to bore you and repeat ourselves. And the other thing we're going to try not to do is keep making reference back to the movie. Obviously, it's very difficult to pull the two apart. However, I want to take this as an album, as a listening experience, an audio experience. And it does impact on it, and we'll see that the fact that there is a film version existing in tandem, sometimes it might weaken the album, sometimes it might strengthen it. But we're going to try and take this as an album, it's audio... It's Rattlin' Hum. Helter Skelter. The opening song, and it might seem like sacrilege to many out here, but I'm going to stick my head above the parapet and say I prefer this version to any version that the Beatles have done. I think it sounds better. Having said that, I don't really understand why it's on the album, and I don't particularly enjoy listening to it. I completely agree with that, yeah. I've no idea why this is on this album. And it's got that introduction from Bono about stealing the song back from Charles Manson that people really hate Bono for. You know, Beatles fans, Bono is someone who can easily rub people up the wrong way. No. No, it's true. Some some people. Has Um, he got his detractors then? Yes. I don't believe it. (laughs) A few critics, one or two out there. Wow. And... That comment, which apparently, according to Bono, was just off the cuff. That has got him in a lot of hot water. Uh, What are are your thoughts, Tyler? Starting an album with a cover. I mean, how much
2: confidence do you you have in your own material if that's what you're doing? It's an interesting, and it's a good start to an album, but I think it's an odd placing. But this is one of the only times this and The Joshua Tree, particularly B-sides from The Joshua Tree, where you two, have as a fully formed band, have done cover songs. I know they did, when they were first starting out, they were doing the Ramones stuff just to fill in the gaps between their own songs. But they never had that sense of going of going through doing popular songs. They never had to do that. They're kind of known for doing their own stuff.
0: That's what you do when you're so starting off in a I, band I think as well. this is kind of an exercise
2: of just getting it out of your system and learning about other, other genres, how to sing and play in, in different styles. So I think that's why it's there. And it's interesting, but it's it's
0: not vital. But it does begin a, a difficult trend on this album of you two appearing to put themselves shoulder to shoulder with absolute rock legends. And, the, I mean, yeah, fine, the Joshua Tree's arrived. That's a big album. But the Beatles, Bob Dylan. Hendrix. It, Hendrix, exactly. In... I, I think that's um, a
2: problem. Uh, This is a problem that, particularly bono was going through because he found himself hanging around with a lot of these guys and he didn't really measure up in a lot of ways
1: or oh, so you think he was just trying to i think i think he, I think he that felt level, sort of that thing. he this
2: was Elephant. something he had to, he, he, this was something he had to do like there were some big names on this album as you know contributors or writers but I think that's just a process that bono needed to go uh, go through because I think he was fe- feeling very insecure about his own musicianship.
0: Was this one of these moments that you thought earlier on, Vinny? This is a cool song.
1: <laughs> Actually, no, I, I didn't like the song at all to start with, and yeah. it's, it went the other way. So I, I like it more now than I did when I first listened to it. And I think part of that is because it was even the other covers, or yeah, like kind of you know um, the link to Jimi Hendrix and stuff like that in this album kind of fits with the bluesy, solely, exploring kind of you know. Americana, yeah, Americana sort of thing. But Helter Skelter just just seems like an odd bolt on, yeah. And to just start the album with it is a bit confusing. Yeah, but, they yeah. play it
2: really well, and I think as a stand standalone track, it would have been fine. But as an album starter, yeah. it's really strange and a bit awkward, particularly if you're a fan of the Beatles and know this song really
1: well. It, it it's just it's just misplaced. Yeah, it will it will have alienated a lot of Beatles fans? Maybe by yeah. track
3: one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Track two, Van Diamond's Land. Van Demon's, Van Land. Demon's Land. What? Van Diamonds Land. This no, it's like, Van
2: Diamonds. I can read. I think how there's a man be, in here did, that should die. That's, that's,
0: that's, that's,
1: I mean, surely the best source to find out what it is is the song itself. And well, I prefer. I says I did Demon. wonder
2: why he sung, sung it like that. Anyway,
0: um, Fun Diamonds Land. Let's get to the review too, shall we? Yes. Johnny, thoughts? I am an Edge enthusiast, as we all know. And I am an Adam apologist. Apologist. Minnie, yes. what are you? A Larry lover?
1: I'm a Larry lover. Yeah, I'd say. Okay, that's yeah. good. That's a drama Makes sense. A Bono basher?
0: <laughs> no, maybe not. There'll be plenty of those um, around. You can't be happy with that.
1: Me? Yeah. I'm really not now. No,
0: he? Bono? Oh, Bono, me bashing yeah. him. Yeah. Well, when he listens to this, I'm sure he'll hit the roof. Oh, can you it.
2: imagine if we ended up like re- actually talking to the band and they'd heard this?
0: I think we'll probably talk to the lawyers at some stage. Yeah. <laughs> so, as I said, I'm the Edge enthusiast, and I like the fact that Edge has a rare moment on lead vocals here. Again, it doesn't happen very often, and that makes it quite special. Although you can tell that Edge has a certain...
1: Has it only happened once since? When is that once? Because I was trying to remember this earlier. Numb.
0: No, I think Numb is the only one.
1: Oh, um, 30, no. not
0: and Previous to this, it's seconds. But only the first verse. Yeah, and, and he's not done it after Numb.
1: There is some live performance where he sings
0: Sunday Bloody
2: Sunday at Pop. Pop Mart.
0: He also does yeah. some of the verses on Miracle Drug. I mean, there are occasions where, and on stuck in a moment, there's occasions where he gets a little bit. It's underused, but that's good because it means Edge isn't overexposed, and he has a quality to his voice which I love in this song. It's earnest, it's plaintive, but it is definitely a bit thinner than Bono's rich kind of tone all the way through this album. But I, I, I really like this song because it is melancholic. It's an, you know, kind of a song about immigration, and you know, kind of deportation, do you want to say anything about that Tyler? I know that you had a couple of facts about that.
2: Um, Well the lyrics were written uh, and sung by The Edge um, about the poet John Boyle O'Reilly who was deported to Australia because of his poetry now I know you have written some poetry Johnny and there have been efforts to excommunicate (laughs) you from the UK because of it so you must sympathise a little bit there
0: Yes, I am a rebel poet. Some have said. Didn't you write a po- <laughs> Didn't you write this a poem? This is a rebel poem. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: Did you write a poem about being locked in a bathroom
0: once? No. Oh yeah, with um. I like that you forgot about no, it. No, but because yeah, but the main point of that poem is that it's about zombies, a zombie apocalypse. So I hide that's in the an bathroom. detail. Yeah, that's more important, important than being in the bathroom. Being locked in a bathroom. It could time. have been a bedroom. <laughs>
2: what What does the guy eat though?
0: Toothpaste right um, for, for how long how does it end up what happens well I mean I don't I don't I don't want to tr- you know, try and guide the reader too much it's called Blossoms look it up on the internet Johnny Rogers Blossom I, I'd like
2: I'd like to know how much toothpaste you would need if that was your survival technique just in case this happens
0: I think he just didn't know what to do with himself. Mm. so Van Diemen's Land then um, what do you what do you make of this song Vinny? I think it's a really nice song quite melancholic
1: like you say for the second song on the album Odd placing, perhaps, then. Odd placing, yeah. But really nice song. It actually, it took me a while to realise that it was Edge singing. I knew it wasn't Bono, but I didn't know it was Edge. And I was probably just too lazy to actually look it up at the time.
0: (laughs) There's not that many other options, is there? Although on this album, I guess there are lots of options. Well, yeah.
1: yeah. um, But yeah, I was glad when I found out it was Edge because it's really nice. And it's the first time I'd heard him sing kind of solo, I guess.
0: It's really nice. It's interesting that we were saying it's kind of an oddly placed song second on the album but this is where I think the movie's logic ruins the album's logic perhaps
2: yeah because I don't feel like this album has started yet as much as I love this song yeah, Um, I Mm. don't know if you know in 1988 when I'm putting this record on I'm like what the hell have I bought you know I've I've got a if I'm a fan of the Beatles I have a bad cover of of, of possibly my favourite track and then I have a very slow um, oh, like song minus three members of U two. So the album's not started for me. You would
1: yet. have thought, yeah, things were things are going badly at UHD Yeah, HD, <laughs> yeah. Like, things are just you, falling You're not apart. gonna
2: make the second side of the first disc. Never mind the second disc. <laughs> Lover, I'm on street.
0: It's desire. Where are you going? Uh, I'm going to go to The Bright Lights. So, I think this should have been the first song on the album, personally. I think this would have been the actual entry point. And this is a song that gave you to its first number one? Yes, correct. Very popular. I mean, this album was insanely popular, which is what happens when you release The Joshua Tree. Any, Any of the next album was going to be great, because, as we've said, people will go off the strength of the previous album. There's not that culture now of looking through the internet and seeing all the reviews vinny as a drummer mm. i mean primarily you're a, you're a pianist but yeah. drummer
1: uh, i think it's i think it's brilliant and the drums are infectious and the guitars like cool and infectious again <laughs> but, you know, and the guitars like awesome and really kind of catchy and the energy is really good so yeah it would either be an opener or or a kind of track four sort of thing <laughs> but it's strangely positioned at three I think um, this.
2: I think this um, album is criticised sometimes unfairly because of the amount of experimentation, but this is an example of how their experimentation can really, really work. This is such a fun song, and they sound like they're having a lot of fun. It's it's still a good song. It's not, and it's not a, a song you you would skip. I don't think.
1: No, the the drums are amazing. One of, one of my favourite. This is a kind of deviation from Rattle and Hum, but one of my favourite. Live moments is when Larry's playing the drums to this at Boston. Yeah. And he's up at the front on the heart.
0: And it still sounds good. The song translates well and doesn't sound. The parts in this album were you two sound oddly anachronistic and old sounding. And that's because even though it's a late 80s, they're all wearing Stetson hats and being shot in black and white and basically look like, you know, drifters and cowboys, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it is good that you kind of update this song. It's got a great it's got a great solo as well, which I like. Nice yeah. jangly guitar. This is the kind of thing that they can I mean it's not overall, this isn't the type of U two that I like best, but this is them actually doing something correctly They're getting yeah, the this style is, right. This
2: is an album opener, it's so fun, uh, great rock and roll tune, a, a, a great beat behind it. This is the way the album starts or should start. This this is what carries you forward to listen to the rest of the album in my
3: opinion.
0: Hawkmoon 269, a track that was named because of the amount of times it took to actually get a good mix of this song, apparently. It literally took them 269 attempts to get it properly onto tape. And the thing is, it sounds like a soundtrack. It's got this sort of pioneering spirit, you know, with the drums beginning, dum 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 And it sounds like we're beginning, again, more of a, a Western or a movie. The problem is that although it's got that dramatic opening, I mean, I don't know if, if you found this while listening to it. It's very repetitive. The chords don't really re- complete. Did you find that when you were listening to it, Vinny? Exactly, yeah. So um,
1: <clears throat> I think it's really good. The song itself is really nice, but it does go on quite a while. And it's the same kind of motif just being rep- repeated again and again. Mm. They do add in a gospel choir towards the end. And I do like a gospel choir. So that kind of excuses it for me slightly. But it is quite repetitive and
0: goes on for like, is it like six, seven minutes, something like that. It feels like it. <laughs> there's no development, essentially. I mean, there's a bit of wow wow at the end, which is which is kind of interesting, but... What do you think, See, Did you enjoy this?
2: I, I, I didn't want to turn it off, and it wasn't offensive, but it, it I I don't feel overwhelmed by it. Or, or even whelmed, perhaps <laughs> underwhelmed, would be the right, really? the right <laughs>
0: level of whelm. It was...
2: I think I kind of zoned out as well when I was listening to this, so it it it's not a problem for it to be on. It doesn't offend me, but it's it it doesn't grab me and shake me like other songs on this album can do.
0: I think by the end you do have that moment, you know, when Bono is going a bit more crazy, and that's good. It's a good vocal performance, but there's not really the there's not really the drama or the the kind of. The velocity of the song hasn't picked up enough to sort of warrant it, so well, it's, it's a long it's time it's before you get it's to that. A, as well, it's a
2: driving song, isn't it? It's um, yeah. It is supposed to sound like a soundtrack. They, I think, they began to write this song when they drove past a sign for Hawk Moon, which is a place in North Dakota, and it was just it. What was going through the head at the time was just the traveling down down the freeway, and you know from
0: gig to gig. So
2: uh, maybe it's supposed to be a more ambient, you know, gentle song.
0: But it's not. There's no depth there to kind of back once, it up. Once again, I think
2: the problem with this song is more more to do with placing than than anything else. It's not a bad song. It's just where it's placed right after Desire makes it seem a lot worse than it is. Where, where would you uh, Where would you place it on the album? Towards the back of the album. Yeah, that's that's a place for quieter tracks, or just a you know a, a more gentle midriff
1: or gentle midriff.
2: Yeah. Right, so now we're going to pick up a little bit of speed, and we're going to talk about all along the watchtower. Still haven't found and freedom for my people. All along the watchtower, I thought it was great, uh, but it, again, it's odd that it's it, it's a cover. Why not do one of your own songs? I know they're trying to you know express the their enjoyment, the discovery of of American music, but I, I don't I don't see why this has to be on the album. In the film, fine, but I don't think it has any place.
0: It's serviceable, but pretty forgettable, I would say. And I don't think anyone's going to reach for this version of the song. No, not at all. Mm -hmm. And it just invites more of that criticism that who do you two really think they are putting themselves up? We've had the Beatles putting themselves up with Jimi Hendrix. And, I mean, do you think this was... I mean, how do you take this... Vinny, in terms of as a statement, do you think this is just a naive mistake? Do you think it's calculating? Like, how do you see this? I
1: don't know. The, the, the Jimmy Hendrix link wasn't that clear to me when I first listened to this album because I didn't really know much. I didn't know much Jimmy Hendrix then.
0: we were quite young. Yeah, we?
1: yeah. It was like, yeah, it was a while ago. So, um, so I don't really understand what the dynamic was between them then, and like, because Hendrix was still around at the time. I can't confirm or deny that. Yeah,
0: I, I've always assumed he was.
2: I don't know. I'm pretty doesn't sure he was dead.
0: He, play, he plays a Star Spangled Banner on this. That's just an excerpt, though. That's as long as I've known him, he's been dead. He wasn't kind of like, <laughs> welcome Jimmy to the stage, and here he is. It's yeah. sort of an excerpt. Yeah. So, I mean... so Maybe he died thought? recently yeah.
2: and it was a tribute or something like that. Maybe. Perhaps. Oh, anyway, on. let's move on um, yeah. to what is the third version of Starbent Fire when I'm looking for. Yeah. We had one on Joshua Tree. I have one in the film where they're in the church uh, with the choir, and now we have a live version on stage with the choir. I personally don't think this song needed needed three recorded versions. Uh, what do you guys think?
0: Well, I'll hand it to Vinny because I mean, well, if people want my my feelings <laughs> on the the song, well, this, they this can go parti- back to the last this episode. This particular version is what I'm asking.
1: I really like this version because I, I think that, I think the choir is really good. I do feel at one point a bit sorry for there's there's one point where the choir there's like a there's a guy and a woman who are kind of doing not scat singing but kind of yeah you know kind of improv or freestyle kind of like oos and ahs and ah yes and all that kind of mm-hmm. thing. I feel a bit sorry for the guy because the woman's howling. She's crazy. She's like screeching, and this guy just sounds like he's a bit intimidated by it, and he just keeps kind of going like, ooh, yeah, kind <laughs> <laughs> of like really like
2: unconvincingly. I prefer this version to uh, Joshua Tree and to uh, the film Rattle and Hum, uh, but the best thing about this song, and this is information that is freely available, but the conductor with the pink jacket in uh, Rattle and Hum, uh, it was his idea to to do this song, and they wrote to uh, U2 and said, do you mind if we record this song and release it, and Bonner went, uh, no, that's, well, U2 said, no, that's not a problem. But then they changed their minds once they heard it and wanted to be involved and the conductor uh of the choir thought that this was his big break <laughs> and Bono basically walked in and trampled all over those dreams that is the that that story alone is so much better than the song um that it's all I can think about every time I listen to it. just that guy's sheer disappointment I didn't know that yeah it's 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 amazing, and finally, freedom
0: for my people. The street performance by... What's his name, Johnny? The, st- uh, the street performance by Sterling McGee, okay, Freedom For My People. I mean, it's a nice... Again, it's annoying because we're being drawn back into music. I was just going to say, it is a nice kind of moment when Edge is walking past and you can tell he's quietly appreciating something. Maybe a little bit more subtle than the 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 album overall. But, I, I mean... I don't really see that it's serving a greater purpose here. These little vignettes, just like the, just like the vignette that's offered at the end of *Van Diemen's Land*, where you've got, I presume, the director of the film interviewing the band and asking them what do you thinks happened since *The Joshua Tree*, and Clayton basically says, oh, "I don't know." What's that adding to this? This isn't making a good, dynamic, interesting album. It's making a frustrating listen for me. I don't
2: want to besmirch the good name of you two, but in those opening segments, it does appear like most of the band have been partaking in the old wacky backy, the old gange. Is that is that, um,
1: is that going to come back to haunt me? I but think that, they're just uncomfortable. What do you think, me? I, th- I don't. Well, I definitely don't think we can say with any certainty whether they've been there. Uh,
2: no, they. I, well, I'm saying done. that I'm. I'm not saying they definitely <laughs> were, but they appear that way. The fact that Adam just goes,
0: oh, I, I don't know. I just think the band look uncomfortable in the whole of the project. It was meant to be a documentary to begin with and then it yeah. becomes this huge production that they sink so much money into. And they look miserable well, all the time. they sat
2: there giggling like girls and then they asked Larry um, to describe the transition and he just goes, ah, it's a musical journey. <laughs> and it's brilliant. It's just, it's f- so funny because the this is this is a film and an album to try and put them up there with the greats and Adam and Larry really don't grasp hold of that concept at all
0: but this is but that's because it's once again bono driving something forward and i think they are just sort of for the ride and they yeah. do great jobs but it's it's a vision that is ultimately Quite naive, really. It's Bono getting into something that and trying to express and say "Hey guys, let me in this club with you. Let me in the blues club, the Americana club." And for me, I just prefer it when you two are producing different kinds of music when they're producing their own kind of thing. Yeah, and that's where that's where they sound best on this record for me. Yeah, what... it's,
1: it's always it's always seemed like Adam and um, Larry are just kind of an edge to an extent as well. They're just kind of small town Dublin lads. Mm. Bono is the one who's just kind of.
0: Always you know, center of attention all the time, dragging it forward, pushing forward.
2: yeah, i I'd, I'd agree with that.
0: You do need those big ambitions to get to the point that you two get. I mean, you're never going to be able to create something as huge sounding as certain tracks that they've done, but this is where it's going off the rails.
2: I think we should move on because we've av- managed to avoid freedom from our people quite successfully. <laughs> so uh, let's go to the next track.
0: Silver and gold. And the live performance of that song, there are other recorded versions of it. This, to me, is an interesting example of a moment where I thought you two were being really cool when I was younger. You've got Bono strutting around, swaggering about, talking about important political issues, um, like apartheid, that kind of thing. And then, you know, turning over to Edge, and after he said, you know, I don't mean to bug you, says, <laughs> okay, Edge, play the blues. Which Edge then refuses to do yes. straight away. So did you notice that as well? This, uh, yeah, this, definitely, yeah. It's like, play the blues. And, he just got... and Edge goes, oh, thank you. Oh, I'll play God, exactly God. the I kind of... I
1: expecting to play the blues.
0: <laughs> I'll play the delayed, jangly guitar that I, that I like. And to me, that was an oasis in this album. I mean, it's pretty clear what my feelings on this album is overall. But that was an oasis on this album because it's the kind of riff that I think, oh, remember when they used to do things like that. And there was actually like an interesting, fresh sound.
2: It was written by Bono, uh, Keith Richards, and Ronnie Wood. Bono had started hanging around with these people after uh, a little bit before the Joshua Tree, He'd been hanging around with Dylan for for a little bit, and this is a continuation of Bono's journey to want to be considered one of the premier rock stars and musicians in the world. Um, the, the, the the fact that he wrote this, they might happened to write this song, I think, in a hotel room, and uh, it has to go on the album. I don't think there was ever a doubt that this was going on to the album. It's it's a really good song, and I think the 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 video in in the in the movie certainly saves it. But I don't know if it does the same thing on the album. I don't think it has the same power just on the album. Like you have to see a lot of these songs in the live setting, which mm. is why yeah. uh, the the movie uh, is a lot more important than the album. I think.
1: Yeah it feels like i don't know if i'm forgetting anything before this but it feels like one of the first overtly political songs hmm. they've done is that i don't know if maybe i'm completely forgetting the last few albums
0: well i think what um, they've what they've done in the past and what we've tr- what we've found out through listening to albums like war and even unforgettable fire is it's better when there's a bit more subtlety or ambiguity when they're dealing with things rather than it coming across as a rant and Bono here comes it comes across as rantish, and he, that's why he says I don't mean to bug you because I think he's anticipating the fact that people yeah. people are thinking when is this song going to carry on? Yeah, just look at just looking at my notes, I have got
1: one more comment, which is he talks about little Stephen putting together a... artist He say, basically he says artists against apartheid. Apartheids. He says it in a very odd yeah, way, and it really it's really niggled me. I love the song. I really really like the song. But every time he says apartheid, I'm like. It's a Apartheid. Yeah. It's,
0: just, it's not just the way he's saying
1: it? Well, I, I rewound it three or four times Aparth- earlier today. I, I, think, I and, think
2: I've noticed him saying apartheid, yeah.
1: Apartheid, yeah. I'm like, oh, come on, Bono. You're All
3: better right. than this, mate. Um,
2: it's interesting. Um, I don't really class this as a U2 song. This is a Bono and, you know, Keith and Ronnie song. But in terms of the album, this is only the fourth U- new U2 song we have. And and it's track number eight, I think. Eight. Yeah, track eight. Fifty percent. Just the pacing of this album is, again, it just keeps coming up to me that this is that's the problem with the album. This album got absolutely panned, and I think this is the reason because there's no consistency throughout it.
3: It's bloated. There's
2: no sense of a, of an album there, and that's a huge problem.
0: Because it's split the, between the movie and and uh, being an album. But that's imagine if
2: you were to bring this out today. Even, even with a movie involved, uh, would you not put all the new stuff at the beginning and then have all the live stuff as, say, disc
0: two? Mm. I would just create a separate live album. That's the thing. I would do an equivalent to, you know, Red Rocks, Under a Red Sky, and call it something different. I think this was an experiment that went wrong, uh, and people have learnt
2: from this mistake, because you don't see other artists doing this. Ever, not, not before, and certainly not after.
0: Well, it'd be interesting to if anyone if anyone can think of any comparable things to yeah any examples talk of... about it in the comments you know suggest it because it would be good to hear of, of albums that are similarly kind of conceived or should we say misconceived.
2: One man came in the name of love. He recorded the song and then he recorded it again <laughs> in a live version. Yeah it does actually sound um better regular listeners will real uh, will know that I really don't care for this song at all anymore but this uh, this live version is a, a lot better but it's still a song I don't want to hear
1: I was thinking it's okay yeah, what I was initially thinking when I was listening to it earlier is that this is every version of pride I've heard every live version is indistinguishable from every other live version yeah that's what I was thinking and I was thinking like you know I thought I'd kind of try and verify this to myself, so I did have a listen to Boston, which is my kind of one of my main reference points for Live U Two. And I've got to admit, I was talking nonsense to myself. It is it is slightly different. Like it just is a bit more attack to the guitar in in Boston. Mm. But I was I'm surprised to hear you say, Tyler, that you're not um, the biggest fan of this song because I'm also I feel bad admitting it to anyone who likes U Two that I'm not the biggest fan of this song. No, I don't. I just don't think it's this.
2: aged well. I, I, I think I liked it at the at the start, but only very, very briefly.
0: It's a classic example of a U two song that most general, not particularly that bothered, not to, you know, take a leave U two fans will like a lot. they be like, oh, that's that song. It's I, so, like so infectious. Ju- ju- jukebox U two fans. Yes, exactly. Birdland
2: on fifty three tonight. This city belongs to me. Angel of
0: Harlem. Johnny thoughts. We've been a bit. Negative so far, all the way through this this review, I would say. <laughs> but this shows where there's so much dedication in the U2 camp. They got the producer, Cowboy Jack Clement, to come in and produce in Sun Studio to try and replicate the kind of earlier big sound, you know, big horn sound that you would get in the kind of music that Bonner was really getting into at this point. So I think that stands in the favour. And it's an excellently produced, you know, sounding piece of music. It sounds
2: music. absolutely amazing. It, it, and it sounds like they're having fun. There are very few examples on record for U2 where they sound like they're having fun. Mm. But this is one of them. Um, and when I was listening to, uh, to this today, actually, I thought the amount of criticism U2 get for taking themselves too seriously and trying to be someone they're not,
0: Particularly for this album as there well. There
2: are elements in this album, and a few songs on this album, Desire is one, Angel of Harlem, this song is, is one, God Part 2, they actually sound like they're having some fun and enjoying what they do. And they got so criticised for it that I can't help but feel so- a little bit sorry for them. It's like they finally found a sound that they you know enjoyed experimenting and playing, and everybody just butchered them for it.
0: And that's one of the only redeeming things of the movie, is that when you see the recording of this, you see when Larry fluffs the drums. Yeah. and then Larry, Larry Mullet Jr. And they look over to him, and then they're just about to start again, and then Larry like leans over the drum kit and goes, but I had a head like yours, I'd bleed and bury it. Like, <laughs> and yeah, think, great
2: comeback, Larry. Comeback <laughs> yeah. skills. Right, well, I've yeah.
0: used that a few times, and it's always stood me in good stead. Little known fact, I sat in some studios at the drum kit
1: that Larry was using there. Were you allowed to... I wasn't okay. allowed to, no, I wasn't allowed to hit anything, but I, there's a how, picture of me sat at the drum kit.
2: How have you not told us this? I'm sure when, I have at some for point. For at, <laughs> at least two weeks
1: we've known that genuinely, we're be doing this. I don't know, genuinely, right now, I've just remembered that. <laughs> I'm not making it up, it's true. I was going to say, surely heard, that should
0: be the top of your notes, not brass. Yeah, it probably should, <laughs> So I guess
1: just for the sake of completeness then, I
2: was going to ask you Johnny. Were you like Larry in but, the film when he tries to sit on Elvis's Harley? Uh, I did feel and, a bit and, like that, yeah. and, and some someone had to had to say, "We'll keep the cameras away." Those cameras do not turn off when he sits on Elvis's Harley. But back to Angel
0: Harley. <laughs> yeah, Vinny was going to say. Something. I, I was,
1: I was going to ask Johnny because um, this is there's a lot of brass in the song, and you can see in the DVD there's a big kind of brass band there. I was going to ask Johnny what he thinks of the brass because I've got it in my head that you're not the biggest brass fan, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't. I might
0: be completely wrong there. Um, well, my answer to that is that. It's not, when I see U2 surrounded by brass, I'm not as happy as when I see them surrounded by video display screens mm. and synthesizers and crazy effects pedals and fireworks and all that, other, and you know bouncing drabants. That's my area of U2 that I really enjoy. Yeah. So I'm never going to be that heartened by it. But for what it is, this is 10 out of 10. You know, it absolutely yeah. achieves its goals. The brass sounds brilliant. It's a tribute to Billie Holiday that fits so well. And so yeah, yeah, I'm I don't hate brass, it's just <laughs> I'd rather you two just it be does, doing um, something different. Yeah. And I guess,
1: yeah, I mean I think I can't think of many other U two songs that feature
2: No, that's as uh, as much as this song, That's anyway. something is... that kept coming back to me, that idea of uh there are sounds that you two never use again. Hmm. Um they're terrified of failure. Like I think we it's fair to say that now. Uh October was a failure and we were still talking about October two uh, two albums later because sounds kept going back it's like they couldn't deal with that failure they had to try and redeem themselves and use those sounds. Uh, This album failed and they completely changed the sound Uh, Pop uh, failed and then they went completely back to basics. You two as a band just don't know how to deal with failure but they're kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater because if some, if if an album doesn't work, they throw everything from the album away.
0: I mean, just to yeah. just to contextualize failure there. There's obviously we just mean in terms of like artistic, you know, by their own standards, because oh, they yeah. still sold pop sold so many, you know, compared to oh, these yeah, days.
2: In terms of a, a, com- a commercial a critical yeah. um, failure, really, and their
0: own sense of it. But I like the fact that I mean, if Rattle and Home had to happen to get to Act On Baby. Thank God it happened.
2: <laughs> I think a bad U two album still sells better than most good albums.
0: Yeah. Well this yeah, they set the standards so high
1: so early with Joshua Tree that they're always gonna feel like they've
0: got a lot to live up to. But that's what means yeah. that's what means that these days that's what makes them take so long to, to... The
2: heights are so high that even you know, the mediocre seems really low low to them. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that is why they take so long to produce new material, because they just... they I think they're terrified of it. They're terrified of of their own success, really. Love,
0: rescue me from this album. It's inaudible, but me and Vinny were cringing during that. <laughs> This is, I mean, I guess it's fitting because this, for me, is all the problems of the album summed up in one very effective but horrible package. It's not good. It's star worship. Just because you write a song with Bob Dylan doesn't mean it's going to be a good song. It's slow. It's languid. doesn't go anywhere. It's bloated. It's really long. This is like another flipping Elvis Presley in America. Careful about your mic there, Johnny. I'm getting angry. Right, so (laughs) this is... Another Elvis Presley in America, where you think, oh, it's it's finishing. Hang Surely.
2: on. If we're comparing it to Elvis uh, Elvis Presley in America,
0: it's it, it's Sorry. a million
2: miles better than Elvis Presley in America.
0: I don't know. I mean, this is. I mean, it's it's all the problems of this album, I think, summed up and put on. You know, five or six minutes too long. Vinny, did you love it? I didn't love it. No, it just sounds like a like you say a bloated
1: Elvis song. I don't know. Yeah yeah Good. yeah nah I, not uh, <laughs> I'm not
2: a fan of this uh, particular type of music um i'm not I'm not really a fan of Bob Dylan, although I do respect him as you know one of the the great artists and fair play to anybody who is well can even get begin to get back through his back catalog and and listen to that stuff. I think that's my worry about older artists with so many albums. You kind of don't know where to start. Overwhelming. And you don't want to waste your time listening. Do you,
1: so, do, do you think, because um, the three of us got into U2 about the same sort of time, do you think we got into U2? If you got into U2 now, do you think there'd be too much to get into retrospectively?
2: No, because I don't think. They're not prolific, U2.
0: 40 it, years and this many albums. Yeah, yeah. and actually, I mean,. We, you look at a guy like yeah. Ryan
2: Adams who started and I think I think in, you know the late nineties, was his, his first albums, I, barely a year goes past when there isn't at least some new material. Yeah. Uh, he's so prolific. I I do compare Ryan Adams to um, Bob Dylan in that way that he's just constantly mm-hmm. writing and recording songs and putting it out. Uh, I think if you're a, a Ryan Adams fan, you're more interested in his development and what he's doing and what he's interested in. His albums are more like a diary th-
0: than anything else. Whereas U two's albums are more like events that you you build up to. Oh,
2: U two U two's albums are epic novels that they you know they've really worked on. Yeah, it's very much the uh, the Game of Thrones um, kind of books. People waiting. Years and years for a book, and it's very. You two fans, I think, can
0: sympathise with that. No, but it's a good analogy. The only yeah. thing I wanted to add to this is a quote that Bono um said about you know his, his work with Dylan, and I think this possibly sums up the impulse behind a lot of the stuff on Rattle and Hum. So, Bono said to Bob Dylan as he came off stage, he said, "Bob, some of these songs of yours, they're gonna live forever." And Bob Dylan apparently turns back to Bono and says, same with your songs, Bono. The only trouble is no one's going to be able to play them. And what Dylan was alluding to there is the fact that although you two are having great hits, like Where the Streets Have No Name, With or Without You, they're not technically easy songs to replicate. And I think that what Bono took away from that, possibly misinterpreting it, as the fact that oh we don't actually have songs you can sit down and chug out with an acoustic guitar in a in a western bar that kind yeah. of thing, and that yeah. is such a I know that they want songs and that's been great for them very recently you know that return so we need songcraft but it's a really bad idea for them to move away from all the stuff that I think makes them great.
2: I think we touched on this a little bit on our Joshua Tree re- re- review Be- when you get a song uh, like with or Without You, which for the drum and bass is quite a simplistic song. Uh, I I'm not a guitarist uh, you are
0: mm. is that a particularly hard song to play you need technical equipment and certainly at the time that it was written you needed an infinite guitar um gadget yeah. basically okay so you can't replicate it on bass, bass got, yeah. yeah on you bass, bass with we remote, use a
2: really good, a really simple song and i think it stands out because it has a simple quality uh, to it
0: but it's a very it's a very standard rock you know, transition those those the four chords that have been moved that kind of shape. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you can't play the songs without in the way that you two would play them without all this other stuff. But but that means that they've been pushed towards the idea of Bono feeling inadequate unless these songs are able to be played on an acoustic guitar, you know, and strummed out and rooty. And that for me, that's not where I like to see you two.
2: You just compare this Bono uh, at this time to, what, it's two years down the line. Uh, with the Mr. McFisto and the Fly and all
1: that stuff, it's crazy that it's that it's only a two-year period. I think you just have an identity crisis because of this whole thing. Like success just kicked in, all the kind of paranoia. I don't and know fear what. I
2: don't know what happened. Was, and all that sort of. Thing. I, I wonder yeah. if there was a bigger epiphany moment. I think that would be one of my questions for Bono, if if we ever did interview him. What changed between the Love Town tour and
0: uh, Act On Baby? When love comes to town with BB King. Tyler, I was just wondering, how are you with chords? I'm horrible
1: at chords. Well, you're not not very. You wouldn't say you're particularly good at chords. I'm horrible at chords. Not, no, okay. <laughs> uh, and what do you think of these lyrics? Would you say? There's some
2: mighty fine lyrics for yeah. such would a you young say, man.
1: Would you say they're quite light, or? There's
2: some
0: heavy lyrics. Yeah, man.
1: heavy lyrics. Quite weighty.
0: I love B.B. King being in here, actually. At least leavens this album and gives it some fun. I mean, he's such a... Like... That wasn't B.B. King, that was just me uh, doing an impression of B.B. <laughs> oh, King. Oh, you've just change your, <laughs> your entire accent. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it's really great that we have something that, in a similar fashion to Angel of Harlem, for what it is, and I'm not... I wouldn't be pushing for more of this kind of stuff from you two but for what it is it's it's brilliant it's raucous you can hear the grit in both BB and Bono's voice this is where Bono's voice actually lives up to the kind of reputation the kind of luminous he's trying to put himself alongside so do you guys like this song?
1: I I love this song yeah fantastic driving song as well yeah fantastic driving song
2: it's a really good standout U2 track as well um, just because of how different it sounds and they get it right this time Um, we just talked about Silver and Gold and how perhaps they don't get it hmm. you're right the, the the um the sense the sensibility of it isn't quite right but this is a really good example and uh i think bb had a good effect on uh, on two through this process because bb's one of those rebel type guys um <laughs> he likes to get in there and see what's going on and yeah uh, he does
3: yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> um I I just think this is it's an enjoyable part of the film. It's enjoyable enjoyable part on the album. I think everybody's having fun. And BB seems like a fun guy, doesn't he? Yeah. Like he come, he yeah. comes across really well. Like we, we've talked about um, the Dylans uh, and uh, like members of the the Rolling Stones and, and the Beatles and all these big names. BB King's a huge name in in blues. Yeah, yeah. But the way he comes across, he just comes across like a normal
1: guy. BB taught Bono a lot about with humility, maybe. Yeah, because like, you can imagine even the interaction between uh, Bono and Dylan. You can imagine there was a lot of kind of ego clash or tension there. But with yeah, BB, a lot maybe sense, Yeah, maybe because BB's from such a such a uh, more distant sort of place in the music world landscape. I don't. They, think... don't, they don't feel like they. Con- Competing with each other in any way.
2: I don't think we're criticizing Bono either, because I I, I imagine if Bono was sat here right now, uh, all three of us would be trying to ask questions in, in you know that were just above us. We would not be asking the questions we really wanted to ask. We'd be you know would be pretending to be someone and maybe trying to. Yeah. feel like we're on his level even even though to us we'll never be on bono's level so you can't really judge him and he's still quite a young guy so it's again a, still a similar a similar age to all of us but the contrast between bb and bono is just is, is 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 huge at this point and bb walks in uh look just looking like a guy off the street and he just wants to
1: play uh, play the blues
0: i think he cares, yeah he cares about the song that's the most important thing i think for this
1: and yeah, I don't know. I feel, I feel like I want to say a lot more about this song. I don't know what to say. And I think what that really means is that I just really like this song. <laughs> I'm horrible and cold. I'm terrible cold. I'm horrible.
2: <laughs> Heartland. One of my top five U2 songs of all time Uh It's absolutely great. This song just seems to get better every single time I listen to it. Uh, Where are you with Heartland, Johnny?
0: I love it. It's an incredibly good song. And the reason I like it personally, I think, is because it was written as part of the Unforgettable Fire sessions, or at least it's way earlier than this album. And it's certainly... I would have to leave it on the album if I was going to, you know, chop and change, rattle and hum. But it doesn't really sound like much of the other stuff on this on this album. It's mm. gentle. It's got this fresh, kind of effortless sound. And to me, this is where all the rust and kind of fat and dust gets sort of blow uh, gets blown away from the album. Here, it's a beautiful song with an incredible vocal performance. I, I can't fault it. It's it's amazing. It's it's. Pretty much as close to a perfect U two song as you get,
2: and it doesn't just fit in this era. It's a, it's just a great song.
1: It could, like you said, it could easily been on Unforgettable Fire as well.
2: Yeah. Um, The lyrics uh, supposedly came from Bono's travel diary. Um, uh, Bono and Adam took a trip somewhere. I don't have the information where, but. Bono just kept a little a travel log and all, all the lyrics are snippets from that. It's like kind of an ode to America sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think we've said about this, this general time frame from uh, Unforgettable Fire to this point uh, the whole career was a ode to America and discovering the American Dream, seeing America behind the American Dream. Um this is just such... A, I'm, just, I'm glad they did this album just so we have this song. It would be such a shame if this song just got shuffled away or, or was you know, mistreated as a B-side, something like that. Where are you at with this
1: now? Uh, I think it's a, a beautiful song, and it seems to be like really underrepresented in everything they've done since. It doesn't show up in, you know, obviously like All I Want Is You and songs like that have shown up since in yeah. live shows, and it just seems to have vanished.
3: Such are, are there any are
0: there, are there any other recordings? I'm showing my. It's strength. certainly not easy to find versions of it performed live because I remember having having a look for this song, and I think the best version I found was actually done by E2 Tribute Band, who is obviously catering to that particular itch that this is a song yeah. that we want to hear live. We want to hear it. Do you think that?
2: Well, first of all, let's uh, let's make a request. If there are any listeners out there who do have a version of this song live by you too, please get in touch and send it to us. Send us a link. Send us an email. I, I think all three of us would really like to hear that.
0: Yeah, and also, I guess if there's any other songs that you think are criminally underrepresented live, any other kind of forgotten gems, then you know, what are your suggestions for those? Yeah, it'd be nice to hear them all. But I think. Well, I was going to ask, do you think the reason this isn't played very much live is because of the difficulty of the vocal at the end? That soaring—I don't know if it's falsetto, maybe, maybe yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, that sort of. Yeah. Very hard to do. I would yeah.
2: rather, I would rather see an attempt at this than nothing at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm sure it, Bono would rather.
2: We've, we've all seen videos and and, uh, right and versions of live songs with Bono hasn't quite sung it just like the record mm. but that that's the beauty of live you you don't want if you wanted to just hear the the recording or, or an exact copy of the recording just stay at home and listen to the album the the, the mm. beauty of watching it live is to see things go wrong and see how they react and watch the band actually play together mm. that's why you buy a ticket because you want to actually witness this band it doesn't, doesn't really matter if you miss a note that's another thing that the kind of I mean, if you're missing notes on every song, that's a problem. But I personally go to, to watch a band play.
1: Yeah, definitely. You, you want the kind of experience of seeing them play, but again, at risk of getting into the kind of we're so old, the internet ruined everything sort of thing. When, when people are recording every single live thing, you can... Bands in general must get a bit more paranoid about. Oh, yeah. You know, we need to be absolutely spot on with it. We need to be like 100%. We, can, we can't take as many risks, because if this is on YouTube... That sort of thing. I'm and sure obviously that I'm not saying that affected you two here, just a general point. But. but
0: hence the rise of auto-tune and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And it is it must be frustrating. But yeah. I'm just thinking how 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 all those early U two tours must have been so good to go and watch it and not be met with a sea of smartphones and iPads and people watching the gig that's right in front of really them. Really irritates me. Yeah. They they have they embraced that, didn't they, on the atomic bomb tour
1: with the phone so like everyone texts a number or something they kind of yeah. embraced that but like
2: and it was good for the but so phone was... technology wasn't as, as advanced then yeah and it was just a, a light and I remember yeah. I had a mobile phone with a really dim backlight <laughs> uh, so there was no way my phone was being seen the anywhere Bono just
0: like narrows his eyes and is like oh, you've not committed to this properly
2: but like these days and, and it really annoys me because I have said to a friend of mine when we've been watching a gig why are you recording it and he's like, "Oh, so, so I've got the memories," and w- what th- memories have to be on a phone now? Why don't you just like think about it? Isn't it's the, it's the rise of that's machines. what I, that's what I would call a memory? <laughs> that's,
1: that's a different podcast, probably.
2: <laughs> but yeah, yeah that, that's the world we live in, and uh, quite clearly, I'm disgruntled and would rather live in a world of, of full of vinyl, no CDs, no internet.
0: Um, well it would be terrible because we couldn't do this podcast. God, part two. There are easy ways that you 2 fans have come up with to kind of divide their output. There's a natural three-part stage to, you know, boy, October, war, and then, you know, the next stage, the next stage. Three seem to work quite well. And that's really useful, and it makes complete sense. But what I find really interesting is when you can find moments in an album that kind of contradict or break up that easy separation so when bono said that they were going to go away and dream it all up again obviously that sound doesn't come out of nowhere and there are hints of act and baby on this song and particularly in the guitar work in the rhythm work that kind of thing um i think it's a pretty good song what do you think tyler
2: i think in terms of the album this song absolutely sticks out like a, a sore thumb yeah uh, it doesn't match any other sound on, on the album. Uh, I, th- I think Bono's uh, Bono's voice uh, is similar on a couple of tracks. Um, but this is just a really, really good example of them being innovative. Um, which w- I think we begin to see more and more examples of. This song is pretty much a sign of things to come. It's uh, a prelude to Actong Baby and Zoo Roper. And, and that kind of writing. It's an, uh, the song written is written as an answer to John Lennon's song "God," um, which I was told I'm told has a, a similar music structure. Structure, I don't know. It sounds very different to me. Uh, lyrically, um, Lennon is singing a lot of "I don't believe in gods," "I don't believe in religions." Um, one particular lyric is. Um, I don't believe in Beatles and then the music kind of stops.
3: Hmm.
2: I believe in me. Uh Lennon is kind of deconstructing the public perception of him and also uh, but it starts off by deconstructing the, the idea of god and the idea of religion uh and, and pretty much spirit, spirituality. Um so it's kind of I, I understand why a young Bono would have you know have reacted very strongly to this kind of thing. And also, it goes against a lot of Bono's sensibilities and a lot of Bono's beliefs, but it clearly left an impression. I prefer God Part 2, but then I'm not a huge John Lennon fan um, of both the obvious, well-known songs. This song really works on, on so many levels. Uh, I didn't appreciate it when I was younger, um, but it's one of those songs that just get now gets better and better every time I listen to it.
1: When you say it sticks out like a sore thumb, J- just in terms of the sound, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, What do you,
2: what do you, what a, do you think it is thing. though? It's a good thing,
0: yeah. Um, is well, it, that's a drum pattern. It's a drums, isn't it? Yeah, it's not, it's not Larry, or if it's Larry using programming or some sort of effect. Because there's, there's you, you definitely ima- some
1: there's definitely some electronics on the drums, isn't there? There's some sort of
0: yeah, there's definitely some kind of some of sort of some sort of electric. <laughs> uh, you you yeah. can imagine
2: like um. Elvis, you know, shaking his hips to this kind of track, it has got that sound to it, um, oh, but, sure. but which I think becomes mirrored when um, when you have when you see the fly, you know, the silhouette of the fly, and he's doing all those crazy. Yeah, it's certain. It's certainly leading in that direction, and for me, that's why it's the most exciting song on the album because it's something new that you two have never done before, and they're not trying to sound like Bob Dylan um, or or a, a, a blues act. Then yeah. they are doing something completely innovative that is their own work.
0: What yeah. do you think, Lee?
1: Well, I feel like uh, I feel like th- I do feel like I misrepresented myself uh, at the start of the podcast, mm. where I because I it might have sounded like I was having a bit of a dig at this song, but I actually do really like the song. Um, and part of it is the drums as well. Like, um, Larry must be having a great time playing this song. I I still can't work out. I'm not sure if either of you what I, the question i was what i was wondering is is the drums is it um double bass pedal which would be very unusual for larry mm. or is it just like floor tom or something like that because it's like it's,
0: it's very it's quite heavy, intense isn't it? and it sounds yeah i think it's his kit with an effect or it's wouldn't it not have, a been, a, it not have yeah. been a drum a drum machine? well that's what i'm saying is is that too early for a drum machine? no 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 drum well, machine i mean you know this no. is this is I mean, not we're not in the era in which you two are dressed up as at this time. You know, mm. we're not actually in prospecting days. You know, of the early <laughs> Wild West. So, so God, I've been getting it wrong all this time. <laughs> but that's what makes it so weird. This whole phase of Joshua Tree and um, Rattlin' Hum, where they were they dressed like itinerant cowboy workers? If that's you know, if that's anything an identity. You, you think of like the
2: whole new romantic thing as well, which you two. Kind of drifted in and then swiftly out of, um, where they were basically dressing up like yuppies in suits, you know, with huge shoulder pads. The contrast between basically the rest of music, the rest of pop music, and you two is so stark right now. Um, look at the way Edge is dressed. It's. I I, I seem now. to keep no no oh in uh, in 1988. Yeah. yeah. I, I keep really. Going on about this, but it's not that it offends me. It's just I can't believe anybody ever thought that was a good look.
0: Well, yeah, it's fashion, you know. It comes and goes, but the bubble pants are fine. The bubble pants are. Bubble fine. pants are fine. Yeah, the bubble yeah, but pants. Don't are a bubble. Cowboy. Hat. Is that
2: stage gear? I don't imagine Bonner was walking around the street like that.
0: What edge clearly was. I would love if he was. And and sliding down hills, going Wee <laughs> The only thing I wanted to say about God Part Two is check out some of the heavier remixes of it because I think that's actually where the song, to me finds its real natural home. Mm. Maybe it doesn't belong on Rattle and Hum it doesn't belong on Axe and Baby because in my opinion it's not a good enough song to um, to sully Axe Baby. However the the harder dance remixes are excellent so check them out. Next up on U2's Rattle and
2: Hum Jimi Hendrix plays the Star Spangled Banner, and then we go straight into Bullet the Blue Sky.
0: Yeah, so little clip of Hendrix, and then Bullet the Blue Sky starts. The only thing I want to say about this is it always used to annoy me as a younger fan. Something about the way Bono says in The Howling Wind right at the start. He goes <laughs> into this annoying, like, deep voice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's got, the he's the got ear ear like a ear.
1: he's got like a frog in his throat or a bubble in his throat or something. But it's but
0: I, but I think he's trying to do that because he does it at other places and it, it's the one time, but it's a one bit of Bono's vocal range where I'm like, no, not yeah. in any circumstances. Go high, speak, you know, kind of seductively into the microphone. Shout, shout, howl, crack yeah. your voice. But I hate that, and it it, it bugs me.
1: But it bugs me as well. He should have he should have said, "I don't mean to bug you." <laughs> Before he did that, <laughs> or just after, I don't
0: know. This this track
2: just annoys me. Like, and I'm talking about both of them in, in one because we have a oh, nice. Oh,
1: but Bullet the blue sky annoys you. Uh, I didn't know this is um, This is yeah. I wasn't, like, I wasn't expecting.
2: No, this. no, like I like Bullet the Blue Sky, but it just it just annoys me because I've already heard that song, and I appreciate what they're doing. They're saying, okay, you've heard the studio version. Um, now you need to hear the what these songs sound like live. Um, because the, they get amplified, and they do, and they're, they're generally U2 songs are a lot better live. My problem with this is we've had a, a run, a nice run, um, quite a nice run, of five original U2 songs, and then they feel the need to break it up with Jimi Hendrix going into Boy in the Blue Sky. It, it just annoys me. They, why didn't they just bring out a live album? Yep. Put it on Wide Awake in America? Uh, it's... It, it just doesn't make any sense to me, uh, particularly when you've just got one more track. And by the way, a very good track left. So, can we just skip ahead and go right to that? Fine with me. Fine. All I Want Is You, a song I think that is very special for the three people in this review studio right now.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Do you know why, Vinny? Is
1: there some reason that I'm unaware of or are you just no, saying no, it's special you, to me
2: independently? No, do you know why it's, why it's special. Do you know why it's special to all three of us? Why? Because it was the first song that all three of us recorded together.
1: I didn't know that. Yeah.
2: I've that. Ten years ago actually.
1: Oh Jesus.
0: I hate to rain on everyone's parade, but I think I did the drums to this. Oh right. So I don't think. Oh so that's fine. That's well, why well, you didn't
1: get paid, Vinny. That's why I didn't get paid. No. No. That's fine. Well, you know, it's special to you two. Well, you two. Crazy. I okay, think
0: we should start again. This on is a mess!
1: <laughs> okay, final
2: track. All I Want Is You. I think this is an absolute stone-cold classic of a song.
0: I think it is a classic, and it has some excellent live versions, particularly Slain, where the transition from this into Where The Streets Have No Name is... One of the top five for me, <laughs> "Streets" transitions, and YouTube fans will know what I'm talking about here. You know that magic moment where you realise, oh, "Streets" is beginning. You know, and it's come from nowhere seemingly. Mm. It's a great transition. However, much as I love this song, and much as I think that it it offers a lot of redemption to this album, is this? I mean, this is a question. Is this a kind of B list? B-list song compared to the real top hitters like with or without you like one I mean to me this is it doesn't quite break into that category thoughts?
2: For me um, there are great U2 songs and then there are the the songs that I I would say are my favourites but they're generally more interesting if we're talking classic U2 songs this song is right up there with with or with Without You and with Streets uh, and with Bad and with One. It's, it's absolutely a classic U2 song. And the, pro- the production, particularly on this version, is so high. It, the, the production quality is so high.
0: Yeah. Lovely strings. It's
2: really, really impressive. Even when I was listening to this, I was I w- kind of overwhelmed by just how impressive it is and how well it comes across on an album that sometimes struggles uh, to find the right tone.
1: This is the perfect end note. What do you think, B? I, I understand why you're asking the question, because it doesn't... Somehow it doesn't feel like it falls into that bracket of the classic U2 songs, but it sh- I don't know why, because I, I think, for me personally, it should do. Hmm. But I don't know why... I know why there's a question mark about whether it does.
0: Maybe because... It hasn't had the same amount of coverage. It's definitely not had the same level of cover versions, mm. you know, that one has. Yeah. It's not a kind of a classic uh, romantic or wedding song, you know, maybe like maybe, "Without You."
1: Maybe it's just a symptom of it being on this album, because obviously everyone's yeah. listened to. The Joshua Tree and done covers of one where the streets have no name and all but this, this stuff.
0: But this sold really well. I mean, yeah. it was listened to. Well, it was actually, that's not true. It was bought. We don't know how much it was listened to. And <laughs> if you put you gotta... on Helter
1: Skelter and turned it off.
0: Well, yeah. and if you've got to get through loads and loads of live versions, by the, you, maybe you've just run out of steam by this point.
2: Yeah, but think mm-hmm. of how far you two have come as a band. Like Think of like the final tracks on uh, the, pretty much every, uh, every album um, before this one and how they... Some kind, uh, sometimes a bit stretched, a bit forced. Uh, um, a couple of times it, there were songs that they just needed to. They needed an extra track, so they just put something together very quickly and shoddily. Is, yeah, Is That All, for example. To finish on a song this strong, with, um, again, production qualities so high. It's yeah, such it's a great way to yeah. end, end the album.
0: And it's a very simple song. And I th- and, isn't it? And
2: I know what you're saying about like is can you compare it to to wither without you but I think it stands up with wither without you.
0: I just think for me it doesn't have I I really do like this song and I'm I'm just trying to say find that thing in my mind that thinks why is it not in the same club and I think it's because Do you think what you're asking really is is it as
2: much of a pop song as wither without you?
0: No, no, no. What I think is actually, because I think they're both,
2: or at least have that pop appeal.
0: I think the no, I think it's they're both pop, in in terms of the like kind of structure and the the sort of conventional way that they that they do the song structure, that kind of thing. What I mean is, this is quite a simple romantic statement that is being made. You know, it feels like almost folky in its attitude and its lyrics. But what I don't think you get here is. You have a submission of Bono, or whatever persona he's conjuring up for this song, you know, he's giving every single bit of his love to this one person, and that's all they need to be. But in a song with or without you, you have more tension. In one, you have more tension. And that's, I think, what's keeping it out of there for me. It's almost too happy all the way through and too jubilant in its love. Or It's too
1: uncomplicated. It's a kind of uncomplicated devotion. Yeah. As opposed to (laughs) with or without you, which is obviously intrinsically...
2: I don't think Bono wrote. I don't think Bono wrote this song about Ali, but this is the kind of songs he should be
1: writing about Ali. Who do you think he wrote it about?
2: Not two hearts beat as one, not sweetest thing, God no not. Can you imagine getting sweetest thing as a present?
0: I think sweetest thing's amazing.
1: Hmm, I'm not convinced. I mean, I'd be happy if anyone wrote me any songs. But...
2: So there we have it, that was Rattle and Hum. Vinny, you are the guest, so mm.
1: this week will you please give us your sweetest thing? So wait, just just to make sure I'm doing the right thing, we're doing the sweetest thing, do we also do, and that's the best song right, that's my favourite song, Yep. and then we're also doing A Dirty Day! Good, yes. okay good. Sweetest thing for me... Don't keep us in there suspense. Are, ooh, there are a few contenders, and obviously... Some absolutely beautiful songs, but I think the song that summarizes this album most for me has got to be "When Love Comes to Town" because it just—it's just one of my favourite songs on the album. It sticks with me, gets me excited, and
0: characterizes this album for me. Okay, Johnny, my sweetest thing is Heartland, and that's unsurprising because it's from an era—an era, an era uh, that I prefer personally in U2's oeuvre.
2: Well, it finally happened. Oeuvre. We agreed on a sweetest thing. Ding ding ding. Uh, mine is also Heartland. Uh, now we will go to the dirty day
1: well it'd be um it'd be kind of a waste of a dirty day to say star swangled banner or freedom for my people maybe yes. yeah, yeah. Mm. so in terms of a full song it's going to have to be uh love rescue me i think johnny
0: ding 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 uh, i hate love rescue me it sums up all the worst things about this album
2: well let's go f- three for three, because I've Ooh. also gone Love Rescue Me. Bing, ding. Sorry, Bono and Bob, but it's got to go into Room 101. So that was Rattle and Hum. We've said our sweetest things and our dirty days. Any
0: final closing thoughts on this album? We've been quite negative throughout this review, and I wouldn't want anyone to feel that we don't still love lots of elements of this album, and obviously of you too. And we're going to see moving forward, hopefully, a lot more positivity back into the studio as we transition into that next phase after you two go away and dream it all up again.
2: Absolutely, like of the, of the three um, three albums from the second chapter, which is Unforgettable Fire, Joshua Tree, and Rattling and Home. Rattling Home is by far the one that I go back to most. Uh, I find it to be a very, while frustrating, a very interesting album and there are a lot of great examples of the band having a lot of fun. Uh, I think they needed to make this this album and they needed to kind of experiment with music just to find a truer version of themselves. I think uh, the characters of Bono and The Edge uh, become a lot more defined after this album. So it's a worth, i think it was a worthwhile exercise and i, I do generally like this album vinny
1: yeah i think there has been quite a lot of negativity mm. but like you say it doesn't mean it's doesn't mean there aren't some really good aspects to it yeah it just it just seems, it seems it's not a very well formed album if you can, i don't know if you can even really call it would an album would you place the I blame
2: mean, at the the just the way the songs are put together well, it's not anything. even. It's
1: not well. Uh, it's, it's a combination of the, the way things were assembled, like the, the ordering of the tracks, but also the inclusion of some of the tracks. Like, there's no need for. I don't know. Well, we'll love,
2: rescue me. Apparently.
1: Well, no, yeah, no need for love, rescue me. No need for star spangled banner, really. Um,
0: so it could have been saved by being turned into if it was, an al a live album if they would wanted it.
1: Yeah. If it was trimmed down and restructured. <laughs> <laughs> Which um, is a big, which is, which obviously is quite a big ask. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, But it, it sounds like it's just an exploratory sort of thing. They're exploring America a lot more. They're exploring where to go after the Joshua Tree. Do
2: you think they should have had the confidence in themselves to just release this as an album, rather than uh, including a in more of a soundtrack to the film?
1: Can I ask, can I ask a, quist, a quick um, numbers question? How many tracks are there in total, and how many are covers think, or live versions of? I think book?
2: there are eighteen, and there are. Ten original, one of which yeah. is a B-side, and okay, uh, ten, or, ten two of those ten yeah. aren't well weren't recorded by, the, well weren't written by the whole of U two, right? So eight true U two
1: songs, yeah. So and that and then so ten others,
0: yeah. So sorry, Joe, I, I interrupted what you were going to say. I think <laughs> no, not at no. all. I think this album kind of I was trying to respond to what Tyler mentioned about the album's creation and the whole film aspect, I think it just snowballed out of control, it was, and the band was so invested in it, both you know, financially and emotionally and everything like that, they couldn't get away from it, and it just became too big, and once you put a huge target on yourself, after you've been on Time Magazine's cover, this was the, the this was then bound to have some kind of backlash, and there was a backlash but again, I I, I don't mind, because if this is what needed to happen for them to say, we're going to put away the and hats and we're going to pick up some European beats and some avant-garde techniques, some synthesizers, great. Welcome to, in my opinion, the best era of U2. Well, I think that all that is
2: left to say is thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to Vinny for joining us on this podcast. I hope you had a good time. Yep, thank you for having me. This is the final episode of Season 1 of Review 2. We are going to go away and dream it all up again. We want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you, everybody for liking us on Facebook, liking us on SoundCloud. And we will be back in a few weeks' time, I think. We've not really talked about the time frame. But we'll certainly be back for Acton Baby. So thank you very much. And for now, we'll see you
3: later. Bye. Bye.
2: Hi there. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us at review2contact at gmail.com. That's R-E-V-U-2 contact at gmail.com.